Okay, hi, my name is Akria Jamfi. I am the founder of the British Blacklist. And I'm here with a woman that up until last year, I had no idea she existed, which is not great on my part, not great on anyone's part, because, um, but it's also uh, resolves why I do these things, because it's really great to discover what we call hidden talent, as it were. Um, so please, would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Matiki Yanov, and I'm a makeup artist. Um, so, Matiki, like I said, because I've, I had never heard of you until I did the conversation for Netflix for um, My Rainey's Black Bottom, where have you been? Where did you pop up from? <laughs> I've actually been out there forever. I've really been in the industry for over 25 years. I studied at the London College of Fashion and all my peers were accepted to the BBC and for some reason I was not accepted. So after college I just really just didn't know what to do with myself. I wanted to be this makeup artist but I didn't have any access at all. I was estranged from my father who lived in New York and I desperately wanted to find and meet him and I came here my father really didn't want to be found at all. That's a whole nother story. And I was dating this guy who was doing commercials and he was like, you're a makeup artist, right? And I said, yeah. And he's like, yeah, you should, you should just do commercials. I said, okay, fair enough. I started doing commercials and then went on from that and just uh, eventually just got into the film business. So there's lots there because um, I'm at London College of Fashion. I remember that being when I was coming up doing hairdressing, that was like the place to go. I mean, for fashion and, you know, hair and makeup and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you did you know what you wanted to do? Was it always like I'm going to do makeup? Because I, I left I left school not knowing what to do. I left. I got kicked out of college and I just went to work at my auntie's hairdresser. And I'd always been able just to do yeah. hair. My auntie had yeah. a home hairdresser in White City. So... We used to do all the local grannies and their curly perms and things like that. So I had a natural God-given talent that kept me going whilst I was working out what I wanted to do in my life. So did you always know makeup was a thing or did you kind of stumble on it? No, not at all, actually. I, um, wow, it's, it's incredible to think about youth and, and the foolish things you do. I wanted to be a fashion designer and I had a boyfriend who also wanted to be a fashion designer at the time. So I was accepted to like four colleges and he wasn't accepted to any. So I thought, you know what, this is a little disappointing and I don't want to upset him. So why don't I do makeup <laughs> so that he can, it's incredible. He could go to fashion school and I'll do makeup. So I got into this makeup and I felt like I really wanted, you know, being a Ghanaian makeup, of course, my mother was horrified. Like, what is that? I might as well said I was going to be a hooker. Yeah. You know, and um, so I thought she's, my mother was a nurse. So I'll get into medical makeup for people with burns, severe scarring and all of that. So at London College of Fashion, we used to do um, like a weekly work release. So I would go to the burn units and stuff like that, but I would become so emotional just seeing these people who had got scarred or burned or whatever. And then I would start crying. So after about two months, they took me in the office and they said, you know, we really like that you're volunteering here. You know, it's really admirable, but you're depressing. 
our, our patients. So we really just don't think you're cut out for this. So there was I, this makeup degree, this field that I was told I wasn't cut out for, and I didn't know what to do. So I just came to find my father in the States. That's wow. Yes. <laughs> that is wow. Um, the journey that we take, and you know what, especially the conversations where women are finding their voice in when it comes to um, men. <laughs> yes. And redefining how we uh, position ourselves in the world and taking hold of our futures and destiny. So it's very interesting that you changed your destiny or totally because of a guy, but actually yes. in that you've discovered this, were you actually good at fashion? I was really good. In fact, oh. he used all my samples for his interview and got in. Yes, I was really good. But um, Destiny would have a different path for me, so. And how's it been? Because I guess a black, because you, you did mention that the BBC didn't take you for reasons unknown or reasons we could assume. What was it like? I suppose obviously you had this thing to find your father and things like that, but then yes, in the journey to being, okay, a black woman in, in hair and makeup, in yes. this space, what was it like from the UK to American transition? Was there a difference in actually America was ready for a black makeup artist or was it just- No, I, I remember clearly I came to stay with my sister, my half sister, my father's daughter actually. And um, she was very, very, very adamant that white people were not going to allow me to make them up. And I needed to go to Ebony Magazine or Essence. And that's as far as I was going to go. Yeah. And I said, okay. And, you know, just coming from England, which it, it, it's so different than here, that we were never really told that we couldn't do something because of color, maybe class. Okay, obviously I wasn't going to be a ballerina or a barrister in those days, but I was never told that I couldn't do something because of color. So being told here blatantly <laughs> that, that wasn't going to happen, it's really interesting because I remember uh, a photographer once uh, said to me, you know, you're, you're a really good makeup artist. I said, yes. And he said, but you don't have a chip on your shoulder. And I said, well, well what does that mean? He said, yeah. He said, you know, I, I worked with one of the top, top black makeup artists. And he just got in his mind that the white establishment was not going to let him go ahead. So he stopped working with me and, and just worked in the black field. He said, but I don't get that from you. So I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I, I think the, the degrees of racism are so different. And um, <laughs> I remember one time I replaced somebody on a job. So they called me over the phone and obviously I have an English accent. So the assumption I guess was I would be white. And I was literally in the studio, in the makeup room. My makeup was open and I was standing there and the two producers came in and they looked around like this and they were like, wow, where is this girl? She's late. And I was like, um, are they having a laugh or something? <laughs> and they left. So I was like, okay. I just sat there and waited. They came in again, looked around, huffed and puffed. And I said, excuse me, are you looking for the makeup artist? And they were like, yeah, oh, oh, yes, shocked. And I said, well, I'm the tiki. I, I think you need to bring the actors in because it's really running late. And I could see the dread on their face. 
So the lovely white actors came in, I made them up beautifully, they went to set, and I actually ended up working for that company for at least five years. So the question for me was, was that a racial thing? Because I ended up working with them. It's It's a really strange way of looking things but it was very different in those days I I would say. There's a thing that you said about not having a chip on your shoulder which is a really weighty curse when people yes because chipping your shoulder just might mean that you've experienced racism you've experienced prejudice because of the what you look like or whatever issue that people have with you and you're ready to point it out when it happens yes there's a fear of it happening so you're already defensive exactly But then sometimes, because I think I always say that my journey within this industry, I haven't necessarily felt like, because I'm a black woman, I haven't been, because I've actually done what I wanted to do. I might, it might have been slow or I might not have had the money. Maybe if I was white, I'd have a different type of trajectory, a faster trajectory, but I've actually made a point that I'm going to do what I want to do. So I don't know. I was so confused when I got here, as I said, things have at least in those days, were very well defined in England. I knew what I could be and I knew what I, could, I couldn't be. When I um, did my career counselling and I told them I'd like to be a fashion designer, a shoe designer and um, a furniture designer, they were, they were my loves. Makeup wasn't even there. And they said, uh, that's really nice, Matiki. We recommend you do a secretarial course, you know? So, and I did, I went and did a secretarial course for like a week and I was like, I'll die if this is what I have to do. No, No offense to secretaries, but for me as an artist, and then also just being African and not getting that encouragement to do art from your parents. When did mom and dad say, oh, okay. I don't think they've ever really, my, my father has passed, but my mum probably when I made up Oprah, that was probably when she was like, oh, that's my daughter. You know, my daughter, she makes up Oprah. Awesome. So, then, that did it. Up then, until uh, then, I was a useless girl. Like, yeah. when was I going to get a job? First of all, do the right thing. Yes. No better blues. First of all, yes. first of all, I mean... There's some projects that for us, because, okay, when you said that you um, you did um, white actors and there was maybe possible resistance of black women being able to do white art, uh, white actors or white yes. makeup. Did you ever feel like, okay, so did you focus on, okay, I'm going to go and try and get all the black projects because that's where it's going to be? Or did you just go out to tender and say? Yeah, I just went out to work. In fact, I would say for the first few years here, I didn't make up any black people at all. And yeah, and even at college, I was the only black person in my class. So I certainly didn't, I wasn't experienced in in black makeup at all. So it wasn't until I got here and I started doing fashion models and started doing their makeup that I really got experienced in black film. And then somebody, actually Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne introduced me to Spike Lee. He was a friend of a guy I was dating, this, the same guy who was doing the commercials and stuff, and said, oh, there's this guy, you really should meet him. And then I did, and, and the rest is history. I mean, the casualness of it. Larry, Larry Fishburne, <laughs> this guy, and it was Spike. So was, um, I mean, you've already mentioned Oprah, we, we will go back to that, but working with Spike on something like Do the Right Thing, were you yes. head makeup artist, were you an assistant? Were you, what was that like? My first film, I was department head makeup 
Wow. Yes. Because that's when you, you know, like everyone's just, because obviously this is one of Spike's earliest films as well. So everyone's just like, have at it and let's go. What was that? Uh, I mean, it was a challenge. I really didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) You know, I just had no idea what I was doing. But uh, we got through it and um, I think, you know, it it came out pretty well. But in, in terms of I didn't have a mentor, I didn't have somebody who showed me the ropes. The only thing I had done before that was loads of music videos and, and loads of commercials, but I had no experience at all. So I, I got through it. Again, similarly with doing hair, if I st- stopped to doing hair, maybe would have ended up on film sets, but I did the hairdresser to fashion shows, to music mm-hmm. shows. And then I think I did, I did a bit of hair on a film set and then it would, but I stuck with fashion because I don't, I don't even know why. But what yeah. was, your, was your plan like, okay, fashion, make uh, videos, film, what, did you have a trajectory plan? I, I didn't at all. I yeah. didn't at all. I remember once I, I, I did a lot of fashion in, in Madrid um, and I would do, they, they would fly me over, I'd do all these fashion shows, I'd do a lot of um, advertising and then somebody called and said, oh, come and do this film. So I said, oh, okay. I didn't really have any plans. I actually really liked fashion. I really, really, really did enjoy fashion. But the thing about film, in order to create a story, um, fascinated me. The whole process of how you could take a character that could be beautiful and then cut their throat or, you know, um, age them was, was fascinating to me. And I really liked that. So when did you get to the point of, okay, so I, I'm winging it, as it were, as a, in a sense, even though you're yes. obviously qualified, but you're winging it in a space that you're supposed to be an anomaly. When did you decide, okay, let's get, let's get this thing into business mode. Let me be Matiki Anoff, makeup artist extraordinaire, head of department. Are there kind of beats that you have to hit? Or is it just years of experience that become, and word of mouth? How do you kind of professionalize it, what you do? Yeah, I think um, I, for some time, was uh, the go-to girl. It was very, very difficult to get into the union. That was the big, big obstacle because at that time, most of union members had a a relative or some kind of hookup that could, um, you know, you have to be invited. And I tried for like six years. I took the test, they would fail me. I'd take the test again, they would fail me. Sorry, which union was that? I actually, the the film union, yes. So each has a local, so the camera department has a local, the makeup department, makeup and hair has a, and I would take the test. And for six years, I took the test. So then I remember I was doing a movie uh, with Robin Givens. And uh, I finished a movie with Robin Givens and she asked me to do a TV series in Chicago with her. And I said, oh, you know, I'm not union, so I can't do that. She said, you're not union. I'll take care of that. So she told the producers, this is who I want. I want her to do my makeup. She also should be department head. I've just done a big movie with her. And that was it. I got in like that. So hold on. Six years of trying. What was that? Yes. Was that a- I, I mean, it was really demoralizing. I'd been very well trained. I had been in the industry a while. 
and I don't always want to harp on <laughs> on color, but yeah. uh, I think it was a factor. I really think it was a factor uh, at that time. But I was determined, as I said, nobody had ever in my life told me I couldn't do something because of my color. Right. Very much so maybe of because of my class, but never my color. So I just was like, they're going to let me in eventually. So I'm just going to keep going. But it was, yes, a, a six year battle. I mean, wow, to tenacity and sticking to it. But then I suppose when you this is your job, you've got to do it. And if and is it a thing yeah. where you can't do certain jobs if you don't if you're not unionized? Most definitely, you could not do union uh, movies um, at all or union projects. So I would do a lot of uh, independence. So okay, let's talk about Oprah. How did you meet Oprah and get to do her makeup, please? Okay, so I did a film in Chicago with uh, Halle Berry and Samuel L. Jackson and Jessica Lange called Losing Isaiah. And um, the hairdresser there, we just gelled and got on very well. And she would do Oprah's hair. And then she told me that Oprah was doing a... TV series or I think TV movie of the week and that she was going to recommend me and I was like oh okay and I got the call and I got to work with Lady O which was pretty amazing. When you get jobs like that because I know I think um, I don't want to name drop <laughs> from my experience but when I got the call from someone super huge to do their hair it was a very surreal moment. So what's it like when you've got someone that's so, I mean, you work, obviously you've worked with Grace more recently, Viola Davis from Irene. What is it like when you have someone like that in your chair? And I know you get, there's a minute where you get acclimatized to the big lights and the glitz and they are just human. But what is it like? The pressure, I mean, I don't know. How do you adjust in that moment? You know, I don't think I've ever had like goosebumps or or that kind of anxiety I would say the only time was Oprah and Maya and they were both in this film Maya Angelou so um <laughs> I think you know just being British British we are taught very well to hide our emotions sure and you know exactly what I mean Americans not so much. <laughs> they are really open beings and they express themselves. So just my typical Britishness and humbleness, but I, I was really nervous. She was like my idol. Yeah, I mean, same for the person I did. And But um, it took me a while to over, just to normalise the person in the chair because usually yes. when people are in my chair, I'm quite ballsy. I'm quite like, listen, keep still, don't move, shut exactly. up. Exactly. My chair is my world. What are your isms for having your your, your setup? What do you need people to understand? You know, um, I, I think more than anything, I tell my, tr my crew and they would tell you that the drama is on camera. There's going to be no drama in my department. We are here to make the actor feel the most comfortable before they go and do what they do. We are the, the last step before they go and shine. And that experience has to be beautiful. So whether somebody wants to listen to hip hop or whether somebody wants to listen to opera, that's what we do. It's we're all set up just for the actor. So I just want it to be really a blissful 
experience. You know, on the movie that uh, two movies ago that I finished with Denzel was directing. <laughs> Denzel was directing. That would be uh, Fences uh, with Denzel and Viola Davis. Fences? No, no, Not no. Fences. I've, just finished, okay. I've just finished one called Journal for Jordan. Oh. And um, there's this incredible actress. Her name is Shantae Adams. Incredible. She's really young, so much fun. So every morning we would do a dance off in the trailer because she loved music. So every morning we had five minute dance off. So we're dancing, dancing, dancing. And the door opens and Denzel comes in. And, you know, we're all shaking. At, and Denzel looks at us and he said, I'm doing this again. And he left. <laughs> and we were like, oh my God. And he came back and he goes, ladies, you're all right? Okay, Shantae, this is how I want this in this thing. And we, she was like, it, she'll never forget that for the rest of her life. So, you know, we just um, really like to give the actor what they want yeah. and put them in the, the best frame of mind to go and do whatever they want to do. So how did you become a, a department head? Because... They've had the, obviously there's a conversation about lack of black HODs or people of color HODs. Yes. How did yes. it become a thing where actually, yeah, you are HOD? Because I, I started off that way. I was, I never assisted anybody. So I just did it, it was on the job training for me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I never did anything. I mean, there's some really big movies that I have been key movie. Uh, sorry, it's key makeup artists with plenty. Um, but most of the jobs I've been department head maker. But then I suppose I couldn't come in and say, well, I'm department head. What are the steps that you need to take to hit those marks to then become a head, department head? The steps, I, I think, are just really knowing what you do. As I said, I really didn't know what I was doing in my first movie, but I learned really quickly. And um, I think when you've done it successfully a few times, your name gets around that this is a solid person. She can get the actor to the set. It's a very interesting situation because you've got everybody to please. You've got to please the AD department. You've got to please the director. You've got to please the producers because time is money and you've got to please the actor. So you've got to let the actor feel that this is his world and everything's revolving around him or her. But at the same time, you know, people are saying, when are they ready? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it's a delicate dance. Absolutely. Who is it? Because I remember those days of doing music videos and especially fashion shows. And I think I love, I, when you said you love um, fashion, I don't know if yes. you like clothes or just like, or fashion shoots, but I love fashion show. I love having like 30 models the that adrenaline is everything. Yes. yes. I love yeah. that. But, um, but there's also, I remember being part of, um, you know, the, the hair and makeup team and wardrobe in, on a music video and having, is it the first AD or second AD, whoever comes in to type, how long are you going to be? How long are you going to exactly. be? And exactly. we're in unity and we're just like, Bow. we're just yes. doing our thing. We've got to get our Absolutely. shit together. Absolutely. Who's, Absolutely. Your, who's your best friend on set, on whatever set you're on? Um, my assistant. I have one assistant, Tamara Delbridge. I, she's just amazing. She, we, we just speak the same language. We don't even have to speak and she knows. And so she's really been with me like for the past five years. I'm really trying to 
push her out there to department heads, but uh, <laughs> it's been a battle, but um, she's just amazing. She's my right-hand person and uh, I'd be lost without her. But one thing that worked in my favor in doing hair was being that junior, as it was called when you first started out, knowing, knowing when to be there, when to be in space, when to step back, when to give Absolutely. them that stuff. Yeah, money in the bank, I'm mm -hmm. telling you, you. If you have a good key, you're golden. So give me a time when um, you messed up on like in on demand in the moment. Ah, oh, shoot. Either the makeup's too light, makeup's too dark, the makeup's gone wrong and you had to fix it in under pressure. And what did you do? Mm. How did you manage that? Wow. I'd have to really think on and that. I'm happy for you to say I never mess up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure I have. I just can't think anything off the top of my head. Or I could, can I say that if, if something, because obviously you work from a palette, there's a conversation, you kind yes. of, it's what you work with all the departments to the creative departments to make sure the visuals make sense. But when they yes. don't, I think sometimes it's taking, having the confidence to say, you know what guys, I don't think this works, let's try this. I don't yes. know how long it took you to build that type of confidence in a space where. I think your relationship with your director is everything that, Nowadays, there's, there's the studio, the streaming service, the this, there's so many, many, many people that you have to please, especially on one of my last jobs. It was incredible. I'd never experienced that before. But I think if you have a really good relationship with your director and he trusts you, I, I can give you an example. Denzel hates any type of prosthesis, hairpiece, he hates anything that he says he can detect and take you out of the movie drives him crazy. So we had to, uh, this is a, a little bit of a war drama. So some of the soldiers got blown up and one of the main characters has a severe scar and he was terrified that it wasn't gonna look real. So I said to him, Denzel, let's do it early. Let's uh, have a show and tell. So we did it. And he was like, that's so good, but I can see a little bit here. I can see a little bit there. So on the day when we actually did it, uh, I remember the set photographer, who's actually Spike Lee's brother, incredible, incredible set photographer, David. We were all in the van going to set and David looks at the guy and he goes, wow, that poor guy, Matiki. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, that poor guy. And I said, that's makeup. He goes, oh, that's makeup. Oh, Yes, yes. I was like, wow, if the set photographer was fooled, I'm golden. So when we got to set, Denzel loved it and, and it was great. That's amazing. What, give me like a, a job that's really impacted you, like for the positive, it's just like, wow, I'm, you know, from my humble beginnings to now, this job is just like really defined or verified or validated me as a makeup artist. I think fences would have to be the one I remember we were, we were doing the scene. The house was very small, so we couldn't stay in the house. So we had tents outside on the street and we had a makeup tent. So we were looking at our monitor and, and all of that. And then I thought, I just want to ask Denzel a question. So I went to the director's tent and every, the producer, everybody was sobbing, just sobbing because Viola was just moving everybody in this scene. Yeah. And of course, I, I get 
taken away a little bit from the action because I'm looking. So I'm not always looking at her performance. I'm looking at, oh my God, can you see that? Or she's crying in this one, she's blowing her nose, is she gonna take all the makeup off? So I'm sometimes a little detached from the action, but I went there and when I just saw everybody bawling, I just was like, wow, I'm in the company of greats here. Actually, you know, when it's like hair and makeup awards, when when, when that's recognized, it tends to be for period or prosthetics, as you said, or um, something dramatic. So when it's, I don't know, when it's subtle, do you, does, is there enough recognition for, I, I don't know this, subtle makeup? No, I, I actually don't think there is. I think there should be more categories. What What is great about the, um, the Guild Award is, they really break it up into categories, period, beauty, and all of that, because sometimes you just see the most phenomenal beauty work that will never be recognized because it isn't a monster or aging or something like that. And I think even just the hair and makeup category is one for the Oscars. We're trying desperately to get that separated. So it's a, at least a different category in that. Um, so yes, I, I think it will it will take a, a little while. Fair enough. Um, some quick round questions, getting to know you. I know there's something I wanted to ask and it's gone out my head, but I'll come back to it. Give me a book that you have to have in your presence all the time, that you have to have with you wherever you go. A book, I think um, The Wisdom of Florence Govel Shin. It's a, um, it's a book that I've probably bought over a hundred copies of. Wow. And I give to everybody, and it's uh, just an amazing metaphysical book. The other book that I give to everybody too is The Richest Man in Babylon, which really is a book that teaches about wealth and how to preserve it. They're my two favorite books uh, that I would have to have with me at all time. And the other one is probably... This director, I'm a screenwriter. I'm, I'm sure you don't even know that. No, yes, I, I don't know. Yes. yes, I have five screenplays, and there will be some interesting news in the near future, which I will of course share with you. But um, anything on screenplays, I love. I love that learning about scripts and the structure of story. That's exciting. Give me some music. Yes an album or song or genre of music that if your friends or family put it on, they know that Matiki's gonna shake her bum bum and get very excited. I think if I just turn my camera a little bit, you will see all. I was admiring the fella poster in the background for those listening. That's it. Yes. That fella. would be, that would be it. That'll be it. Give me a um, yes. stage production that has impacted you. And that could be a concert or a play, something that you've seen on stage that, or even worked on stage. Um. The fella, the fella on musical. Broadway oh. blew my mind. Yes. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I've been having conversations about fella recently and yes, yes, that musical was brilliant. Um, mm. Give me a TV show or film that you watch regardless. You've seen it a thousand times, but you'll watch it anytime it's on. Hmm. Or film. The TV show, I love um, Homeland actually. That's one of my favorite TV shows that I will watch. I love any kind of like espionage or anything to do with crime. Yes, that's, that's what I really enjoy. Okay, before I ask my final question, two questions. What I remember to, what I wanted to ask you was in the UK now, they just recently said that they're going to make Afro hair mandatory as part of um, hair. 
you see you're clapping see so we had this conversation on our podcast like your aunties could never and I think that our hair should be normalized and then probably the same for makeup but I also have this thing about preserving our culture or something like that mm-hmm. so I wasn't how I felt about it but and is it the same is it the same in makeup like you do is afro I mean afro is black skin part of the course or is it a separate add-on as it as afro hair used to be a separate kind of course you had to take extra when I went to school do you mean and now I don't know okay makeup no I I didn't make her really a black person up until I came to the states okay so it's not, yeah. is it part of the no it wasn't part of the curriculum and I think now here the unions are understanding because whereas before there would be one black movie a year and all the black makeup artists would be after that now with all these platforms i mean thank god for panther and uh, i i just i just recently read that bridgerton and lapin were the biggest highest rated netflix productions of last year so hello we have arrived we are out of the ghetto and we are fabulous everything i've done in the last year has been black people at their finest the most beautiful beautiful clothes hair makeup and so it's a whole new day so now other people better get on board that you better know how to make us up if you want to stay in the industry and how to do our hair plain and simple do you think it cancels out then it will cancel us out as those who are black and doing it? If I think the competition will it'll be harder. I don't think so. I mean, I would be, I would not feel good if somebody said that I should not make up white people. I hear okay. You. So I, I think I know fabulous white makeup artists who do fabulous black makeup. Just I think that. Whereas before we were an afterthought, that's not the case now. So people are really stepping up and learning what we need and we are going to be serviced in the right way. And um, I think it's a wonderful day in, in film. Fair enough. And what's made you sad, mad and glad this week or the past week? Sad, that's very easy. The, the voter suppression in this country is alarming. Glad, glad I've heard that Ghana is going to have another year of the return this year. And there's gonna be all fabulous panels. So I've got to be there at Christmas. And what was the other one, Glad? What made you mad? What has made you mad? What made me mad? Hmm, I don't think I've been mad about anything. As, well, I, all, all I can say is, is really the voter suppression here is really uh, terrifying of, of what's going on. Yeah, it is very scary watching it from over here. So um, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, I guess <laughs> well, no, what's, what have you got going on next? And, and actually, no, quickly, quickly, quickly. Are you, so you live in America now or you live in the UK? Or you're I, live, to- I live in New York. I live in Brooklyn. Oh, I'm coming to Brooklyn to stay at your house for no reason. Yes, please. <laughs> oh my God, you're so welcome to. I miss New York, I miss New York. Um, and yeah, what have you got working? What are you working on and what's coming up next? What can we see from you? I am taking a bit of a break. I worked all through COVID. Yeah. Um, 
I literally finished last week. I told you recently, I just, um, a, a dear, dear friend of mine, Boris Kojo, did his, his the directorial debut. So I worked on, on the beautiful Nicole, his wife. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we've just heard that Denzel's film, Sony Loves It So Much, it's going to have a Christmas release. Ooh. Yeah, so that'll be coming out soon. And I've got another Netflix movie coming out uh, that Andrew Dossamalt directed called Beauty. So I think that might be out soon in September. I've literally, in the last two weeks, got seven screenplays. Yes, so I'm I'm just reading, 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 and I will decide what I'll do. They all start in October, but I, I literally turned down probably 10 that were like this month. But my daughter is turning 16 and I have to be home. Uh, she's in boarding school in Ghana, so I have to be home for that. So I had to turn down all these movies. I said, this is a very expensive child. But anyway... Uh, I'm going home to give her a 16th birthday party. And then when I return in October, I'll decide on one of these seven movies. That's one of the questions to ask, actually. And that's amazing. Happy birthday in advance mine, to my niece. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. It's interesting you said you get the scripts and then you make a decision. And you're at a position now where, hmm, this script is good. No, this script is not. Absolutely. And, and what is it that draws you to a, a project? What is it? The story. Okay. The story. It doesn't even, some people would say the stars, who's attached. Mm. For me, the story, the, the substance of the story. Yeah. And who's directing? Of course, Denzel, I will always, I was always work with Denzel. Okay. I don't want to ask you who your favorite people to work on it, but who's your favorite, who's your favorite person who's been in your chair? Like who's been the most exciting to work with and beautify or whatever you needed to do for the job? Favorite. I, I don't have one. For so many different reasons, there would be a, a different choice. Okay. Yes, for their talent would be one, for their uh, friendliness would be another. Yeah. There, there would be so many, so many to choose from. Okay, I won't put you on the spot anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's been wonderful to speak to you. I, I'm just, I'm glad I've discovered you and your Ghanaian, so extra special kindred. And Indeed. This is the conversation about the people behind the scenes not being seen. So I'm glad like you're being seen and recognized and awarded. BAFTAs does everything, it's amazing. And I, it's, it's long overdue that people behind the scenes are recognized how they should be. Agreed. So thank you so much. Thank you, this has been wonderful. Oh.